0: All around our country, in the next few days and weeks, there's going to be a group of men who are going to be staring at a television screen. Each one very focused on his assignment. They're called football players. They're going to be looking at the film of the man who's on his other side. Which way does he pivot? Which way does he spin? What does the offensive pattern look like? And how do I set myself up accordingly? And they will memorize that pattern. They'll memorize the movement of the man that they're supposed to mark. And they'll go over it and over it. And in their mind, they will tackle that person over and again. They'll block that person. And they will have it down so they can do it in their sleep. It's called prep time. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I know that on Sunday afternoon, the Eagles will walk away victorious. Amen? (laughs) Amen? A few of you guys are right with God. Uh, The rest of you, well, we'll talk about that later. I stick my neck up and they'll lose. (laughs) I love sports. I remember as I was reading some things about those teams as they were getting ready. And I I love the way the analysts break it down, don't you? They don't have a clue. They're frustrated football players, never made it themselves. So they tell everybody else what they're doing wrong. (laughs) Especially, I especially like it, when a woman goes down on the sidelines and tells the quarterback what he's doing wrong. Give me a break already. I know, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not being very inclusive. When I played, we didn't have film. Instead, we'd sit there and listen to the coaches rehearse over and over and over and over again. Then they'd say, All right, go to your corner and play your game. And we had to play it in our minds um, and get ready to. to and we, the idea was we had to win the game before we ever got out on the field. Let me tell you something if we, as God's soldiers, would prepare in like manner, I think it'd be different in the battlefield. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. This is a passage we know well. But I want to focus on a particular part that's not often talked about. In 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 2, we read the following. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Father, Quiet our hearts, meet our needs, minister to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Elijah has just finished going to Ahab and saying, there's not going to be any rain in the land until I say so. And so God tells him, now it's time to go and conceal yourself, hide yourself. I don't know if Elijah did so willingly or said, Lord, there's things I can do around here. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I want us to look at four words that outline the assignment of concealment or of prep time. The first one is the command in verses 2 and 3. The command says, go hide yourself. Now, there probably was a good reason for that. He was not the most popular man in in the kingdom at that time. And God says, so go hide yourself. Leave what's going on with Ahab and leave the secret service that's looking for you and just go and get apart. He told the disciples once, he says, let's come apart. You know, in ministry, sometimes you either have to come apart or you'll come apart. And uh, that's kind of what Elijah needs to do. And by the way, Elijah was being prepared for the greatest mission he would ever face. And young people, you are being prepared by God for a great mission. I have no idea what it is. But you're being prepared for a great mission. Elijah is going to stand on top of Mount Carmel. He's going to call down fire from heaven. And he's going to, according to scriptures, he single-handedly kills 400 prophets. Maybe 800, depending on how you read the passage. But it's interesting, and God prepares him for that. He prepares him to run ahead of Ahab's chariot down the mountain. Prep time is important. So he's told to go hide yourself. And let me just tell you that unfortunately many of us are compulsive activists. There's so many voices clamming for our attention that it's easy for us to miss the voice of God. And probably no place more easy than Bible college. Because you hear the Bible taught. The Bible read. And it becomes kind of like a callous. We want to be used of God in a great and mighty way. But in order for this to happen. We must prep ourselves. We must have something. That God is prepared to give us during this particular time. When I was in college. I shouldn't say this because then you guys would use it as an excuse. I really thought college was a huge waste of time. (laughs) I thought, I'm going to go back to Brazil. I'm going to do my thing. And God said, no, 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 not happening. And so I'd sit in these classes and learn. and, And most of the time I learned and studied so I could be eligible to play sports. I know, not very spiritual. But God was preparing me in spite of myself. I want you to remember 2 Samuel chapter 18. There's the great battle with Absalom. Absalom is killed. And so Joab wants to send the message to the king. Eliame wants, wants to go. He's a young man. He could run fast. But Joab knew that he had the tack of a slap alongside the face. And the message that was being carried had to be carried with some gentleness. And so he calls Cushai, gives him the message. Says, take this to the king. Eliamez says, let me go anyway. Joab says, go ahead and run. Elihamez gets there first, remember? King says, what happened? I don't know. There's just a lot of dust, a lot of noise. Of course, it's battle. You know, sometimes that's the way we are. We may be young, we may be energetic, and we want to run, we want to do things, but when we get there, we don't have a word, we don't have the message. And this world requires that we have a message, a message that they can understand, a message that speaks to their heart. Kushai gets there afterwards, and he has a message. A little later, but still has a message. When I went to uh, Pillsbury, Dr. Cedar Home was president then. And uh, he would get us in the preacher boys' class. And there was about 200 of us in that class. And he said, boys, he said, if I knew the rapture was going to take place in 10 years, I knew for sure. He said, I'd spend the first four years in Bible college. <laughs> then he says, I'd spend the next three years in seminary. Because I can do more in three years with an education than I could intend without. And I thought, yeah, right. But he's dead right. Dead right. If we don't hear from God, we're not going to have an impact on society. Elijah needed the time by Brooke Cherith to prepare him. There needs to be a time of hearing from God and talking with God and to think and to plan. For many of us, we don't take time to plan. I have yet met to meet a Christian who sat down and planned a mediocre life. And yet, if most of us go the direction we are, we're going to end up there. Because we don't take time to plan and to listen and take time by book Cherith. Go hide yourself. Second word It's a word of promise. He said, I'll feed you there. I'll take care of you. God supplies. But my God shall supply all your riches by Christ Jesus. Elijah was to drink of the brook. The ravens were to feed him. Not fancy, but sufficient. It works. You know, God never gives a command without providing the dynamic to fulfill the commandment. Don't you forget that. Now, I've got to make sure that it's God's command. But once he gives a command, if God has commanded you to come to Ambassador Baptist College, mark it down, he's going to supply. How? I don't know. You probably are not like me, but I think God has a sense of humor when it comes to me. He he doesn't supply until the very last moment. And I go, you could have done this two days ago, God. But he waits until the last moment. He said, I just want to see if you trust me. I go, all right, all right. You'd think that by now I would have learned, but I I haven't. For all too many Christians will not see the provision of God because we've not dared dream the dreams that require God's power. I'm told the true story. When Dallas Theological Seminary was still a solid school in its infancy, Dr. Chaffer had called the faculty together and said, "Men, we've got to pray. There's no money. And if we don't get some money, we're going to, to shut down. So they prayed and they went around the circle praying and got to Dr. Chaffer and he says, gentlemen, we've said our prayers. Now it's time to pray. Said, Dr. Chaffer stood up, took off his jacket, knelt by his chair and said, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Please butcher a few and send us the money. The secretary knocks on the door while he's still praying. Doctor Chaffer goes in and she says, "So and so is here, wants to talk to you." It was a large rancher. Said God has laid on my heart to give you the money for the sale of the cattle. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God works that way? You say, well, I've never had him kill any cattle on a thousand hills. You'd be surprised because you haven't needed them. There's going to come a day when you need them. Like tell you story after story of how God supplied in incredible ways. A young man with a family of three children, three boys, quit a very good lucrative business because God had called him to ministry. He goes to seminary and making very little money. Johnny is eight years old. He's the youngest. And Johnny has worn the same shirt to school for the last two weeks because that's the only one he had. And so at family devotions... When they were asked for prayer requests, Johnny says, pray for a shirt for me. And so they wrote down, shirt for Johnny, size eight. Every night, Johnny says, pray for my shirt, pray for my shirt. While they were at school, a businessman called the mother and said, we just had a sale in our home and I've got some shirts left over. I wonder if you could use them. She said, what size? He said, size eight. He says yes, we can use them. So he brings over a stack of shirts. Mom, being wise, put them in Johnny's drawer. Never said a word. The family devotion time. Pray for a shirt for me. We don't have to. Say why? No, we don't have to. She sends the oldest son go get one of the shirts. Brings a shirt and Johnny's eyes pop out of the head. Then sister brings another one and somebody else brings another one. Pretty quick, they've got a stack of shirts around Johnny and Johnny thinks God's gone into the shirt business. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Somewhere in this country, there's a little boy by the name of Johnny who's no longer a little boy. That believes that there's a God in heaven because he dared trust. As you leave here and you go into ministry, don't, don't ask God for little things. He's a big God. Trust him for something big. Just put him on record. Say, my God is a great God. And dream, dream big. Have you learned to dream yet? You guys, preacher boys, get yourself a corner someplace and start dreaming. Start thinking about that church that you're going to have or that mission field that you're going to or that evangelistic uh, tour that you're going to have. Find something and dream it and then ask God to bless it and bring it into reality. Third word is response. Acts 9, Paul is public enemy number one on his way to Damascus. You remember God arrests him on the way there. He's now in a home and verse 10 God comes to Ananias. Now, I can relate to Ananias. God says, I want you to go to street such and such and such and such, and there I want you to heal Saul. Saul? The guy from Jerusalem? Yeah, that's the guy. Uh, Lord, uh, maybe I need to to debrief you. Uh, Saul is the guy that uh, kills Christians in Jerusalem. And I heard he came down to Damascus to get us. God said, Yeah, I know. Go heal him. Uh, Lord, it's best that he not be healed. <laughs> I can relate. And that finally goes, and you remember the story. But the opposite of ignorance in the spiritual realm is not knowledge, it's obedience. The Bible says to obey is better than to sacrifice. And I have this running argument with the Lord. I constantly try to impress him how much I know. And he's trying to impress me with how little I obey. Fourth word is test. In verse 7. And it came to pass after a while. That the brook dried up. What a revolting development. Lord. Didn't you tell me to come here? Yes, I did. Lord, the brook dried up. There are going to be times in ministry, guys, when you say, Lord, didn't you tell me to come here? God said, yes. But, Lord, Lord said, I know. Just sit tight. Boy, that's hard to do. That is hard to do. Just to sit tight. How can I be in the very center of God's will and have the brook dry up? Doesn't make sense. So, what do I do? I grab a map on my GPS and find water. I go out and hunt water. I'm in a church, things aren't going well. I call Brother Spencer and say, Get, put my name in another church. God says, just sit still. Now I'm not suggesting to you that there aren't times when you that God moves you. I'm not suggesting that, but you better make sure it's God's moving, not you. There's a principle of developmental faith. God is not simply interested in impartation of faith, as important as that is. He's interested in developing faith. <laughs> He knows that faith only develops under pressure, under a crucible. Only then, when my faith is tested and pushed beyond limits. When I was first introduced to the trainer of our soccer team, the guy stood maybe about five foot seven, but he could bench press 400 pounds And carry on a conversation. He was tough. And it was his mission to make us all like him. Take one look at me. That's not happening. (laughs) Besides, I was goalie. Goalies don't need to be tough. They just need to be stupid. (laughs) That's exactly right. Goalies don't have to be talented. They just have to be so stupid they're willing to fall head first into a guy's shoe. Um, So, he took us out to the field. And he did what I later found out were known as suicides. Understand, this is mid-afternoon, northeast Brazil. It's 110 degrees out there in the shade, and there's no shade. (laughs) And we had to... Run with our hands behind our head. Have you ever done that? It's tough. Every time he blew the whistle, that meant we had to sit down, keep your hands behind your head, sit down, do sit-ups until he blew the whistle again when we stood up and ran again. We did that and did that and did it. A A professional soccer field is 120 yards long by 110 yards wide. That's twice the size of the football field. And we kept running around this thing. till I was about to die. And I decided either I'm going to die or that guy's going to die. (laughs) One or the other. (laughs) Let me tell you what he was doing. He says, I've got to push you beyond what you know your limits are. God does it all the time. Trust me. He pushes you beyond your comfort zone. He pushes you beyond where you feel as though this is the limit to my talent. (laughs) My area of weakness was girls. Still is. Girls are intimidating critters. I don't know if you knew that or not. I went to Pillsbury, and I saw this girl go, whoa, man. And she went to the same church where I was attached as a youth director. And I found out that she went to the house. She, she lived in the house that we went to have meals at. I thought, I'm going to invite her out. I'm going to ask her out. And the Spirit of God said, yeah, do it. I go, oh, I'm scared. I'm <laughs> ashamed well, to say this. It took her dating my best friend for me to get the guts up to rescue her. <laughs> I did, and we got married. You know, it's interesting. God calls Abraham out of the earth of Chaldees, sends him to a promised land. He gets there, and he goes scurrying for Egypt because there's a famine. Mark 4, the disciples have just heard a lecture on faith. Verse 35, he says, get into the boat. Let's go across the sea. They get into a terrible storm. Now, the Lord is with them. By the way, you ever get in a storm when the Lord's there? You think he bails on you? They wake him up and say, Lord, cure us not that we perish. It's almost like they're saying, Lord, grab a pail and and bail with us. And we do the same thing with God. We hand him a pail to the God of the universe that can just say, peace be still. But we don't ask him for that. We put them in a human box and tell them, help us. When God just says, please trust me. I can do amazing things. Just trust me. He stands up and says, peace be still. and Took care of the water. I don't know what you're going through. You may be saying, God pay my bills. God supply my bills. God, supply. God says, "That I'm not in the business of supplying bills. I'm in the business of ministering to your life in such a way that you won't have to worry about your bills. The moment we take a significant step of obedience, we're going to be put into a crucible and tested. That's just the way it is. Put yourself in Elijah's place. The flow of water stops. All that's left are puddles. You ever drink water out of puddles? I have. What you do is you take your handkerchief and you put... Wet mud in it. Squeeze the rag and drink the water. I don't know if that's how he was doing it or not. But then the puddles dry up. Talk about adding insult to injury. How do you react, Night Elijah? He just sat there. I would imagine in his mind I said, "God, you said you'd supply. I'm waiting." And all of a sudden it hits him. Why is the brook dried up? Because he prayed it would. Yeah, duh. James 5 17 makes it clear. He prayed and God stopped the rain. God stops the rain, he's going to dry up the brook. Let me ask you a question. Are you still sitting beside a dried up brook? It's okay. It's okay. And perhaps God is just saying, I want to minister through you, but I must minister to you before I can minister through you. There are going to be people that are going to walk through your office or walk into your kitchen that are hurting big time beyond what you can possibly imagine. If you haven't had God work in you. He's not going to be able to work through you. And what you're going to say is empty platitudes. Well let's just pray together. Nothing wrong with praying together. But it's empty. Because you've not sat by Brook Cherith. And waited. Knowing this is the triumph of your faith. Worked with Patience but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Prep time. That's what this is. That's your full-time job, is to prepare. And by the way, if you're not faithful with this, you're not going to be faithful in ministry. You just won't be. And... From my perspective, now I look back. I said, man, did I waste some time. I would, love, I would give anything to go back to some of those professors and sit at their doorstep. Dr. Wiest was the Greek professor. Just sit there and say, doc, what does this mean? but I don't have that chance anymore. And God in his grace has allowed me to learn some things along the way anyway. Don't waste your prep time. I wonder if on Sunday a football player messes up a play big time if it's not because he didn't spend enough time in front of the TV TV screen. Memorizing the moves of the guy that's coming against him. Prep time. Father, may we take our time together seriously. May we understand that it truly is prep time. And as Elijah learned, even though he did not know about Mount Carmel, he trusted you and waited so that you could finish prep time. Father, may we here be willing to do the same. I'm sure that there are men and women in this auditorium for whom you've got wonderful things out ahead of them. But Father, help them not to shortcut prep time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.